Welcome to episode 134 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is, uh, I already forgot, Derek, Holy Sword in the Ghost in the, the thingies with the Holy SNES. Holy Sword Legend. Holy Sword yeah. Legend, Heemsburg. Yeah, the one with Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Swayze. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. yeah the ghost with the pottery and <laughs> yeah. everything, yes. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, very, very erotic, very formative. Uh, hey, I'm Derek Eamsburg, and I'm Embryon on the boards, and I've been playing some uh, some mana games, so I, I told Rob to call me that, and he almost did it. He almost and, got there. And, and he's going to talk about how uh, the new, what is it, the Secret of Mana remake looks like a cell phone game, and... Uh, <sighs> yeah. Oh, I don't boy. know. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I, it's, it's cutesy, and you know it's going to run on everything, so there there's... We'll there's see. The, there's that. But who else is here today, Rob? Uh, we also have uh, Caitlin Dying Light is an RPG Argyros. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Like... it it's so hit and miss. It's so hit and miss. Uh, but I'm glad you're playing it, and we will talk about it. I, I came down on the no category, but I think, like, depending on the day, I could have gone either way on that one. I just, I didn't have, like, a dog in that fight, if that makes sense. <laughs> Grim. <laughs> Uh, I didn't mean it like that. Oh God! Now it's now it's all terrible. Uh, no, I, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, Dying Light and you know what is or is not an RPG. You know, something that's very easy to resolve on the internet in calm voices. Yeah, you know, super like... easy. It's not like we debate this every every week on RPG Fan about the newest game to come out. Right? Nope. No, we, we've never gotten into that before. Uh, but I guess we will start today. We got some games to talk about, and uh, I think we're we're a little uh, visual novel happy, so we'll we'll kind of cut it up a little bit but the the first one derek is uh chaos semicolon child uh yeah. new game from the guys that did uh steins gate correct uh-huh. yeah all right I which it. i i did not like steins gate yeah i i think uh it's not for everybody the so we'll preface this by saying i don't want to like jump into negativity here but here let me give you an intro to the game chaos child it's the latest game in the it's the so-called science science adventure series by 5pb five powered and basics or whatever they call themselves that company so uh they they, these are all games visual novels that typically have like some element of either occult supernatural or science doing crazy stuff so in steins gate which is the most popular one that everybody tends to know about it's a story of time travel and how the main character sort of goes into all these different alternate timelines and he finds that every time he changes reality he's sort of further and further removed from the core timeline and then he ends up having to kind of like undo all of his mistakes and and go back to to save his friend from dying and stuff. So it's it's pretty heavy. Um, but And Steins Gate was made into an anime, which uh, that's the way that I first experienced it. But uh, these games tend to have like so much unnecessary expositional dialogue and like superfluous fan service fluff that doesn't really tie into the core narrative. And I just don't get it. I don't know why they have to have this kind of stuff. Like... Yes, I want to know about the characters' motivations and stuff, and I like sort of lower-level dialogue where people are just joking around and talking, but if your story is about time travel 
and saving somebody's life, why do we have to have a school culture festival arc where everybody's like, teehee, we're going to wear maid costumes. Like, why? I, I just don't get why we have to include that in every... It's it's such an annoying trend to me in modern uh, anime. Like, I just don't like Moe stuff. And ugh. Anyway, <laughs> all these games generally have, like, a very interesting core story, though, that I'm very into, and I can usually get through the rest of it. But um, So Chaos Child is the latest one, and it's actually, like, a semi-sequel to Chaos Head, this was actually the first, I think it was the first one ever released in the series. And the only reason why I knew about it was because they made an anime of it. And it's a pretty short, like a 12 or 14 episode one. And I watched it and I thought overall it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, it was the story of this guy who was like an otaku and a neat who lived in a shipping container. And he was starting to have these delusions that were being projected into reality. The whole, the core concept here is delusion. And then there were like, people who had the ability to make delusion swords appear out of thin air and they were like fighting bad guys and stuff with them. I don't know. So the idea is like, if you can delude yourself into thinking something is real, then it can exist. So chaos child is a thematic sequel to that where um, it seems like there's, there's like a string of murders going on. And then the main character uh, is able to use delusions to some effect. Now I'm not super far into this game and I can't actually talk much about the story because embargo, but the, the main, like the core mechanic of the game is it's it's a visual novel. And as you're progressing through the game, there will be points where it'll come up on either side of the screen with like a red and a blue, yeah, red and a blue ring. And you choose to have a positive or a negative delusion if you want. So like, say somebody's talking to you about, like there's an early one where uh, his friend comes over to visit him and they're just like chit-chatting. And he can choose, if you choose a negative delusion, which this is like super gross and it's kind of bothering me, but I chose negative just to see what would happen. And he, like, is talking about how to pick up girls, and he ends up pushing her down on the bed and trying to kiss her and stuff. And then she, like, punches her. She punches him or whatever. And it's just, like, I don't know. Um, the idea is that it's a delusion, and it's not real. It's something that he's just sort of imagining what if. But later in the game, I have a feeling that the delusions are going to become... Because I know that the game progresses based on what delusions you choose, whether positive or negative, and how that affects the flow of the story. Because, I mean if you think about it, like how the main character is reacting to events in his mind is going to affect what, what he does after the fact I, I'm extreme, explaining this very abstractly. So I'm sorry if it doesn't make sense, but um, in short chaos child is a visual novel where you progress through the story by choosing at various points in the game. If you want to have like a positive or a negative, negative delusion about whatever's happening. And then the story goes from there. So um, I know that, you know, chaos had had a lot of interesting stuff about like, uh, are you who you think you are and like the nature of reality and stuff. So much like games in the vein of Virtue's Last Reward or um, Danganronpa, they, they get pretty heavy on the metaphysical stuff and like pseudoscience or science. So I know Chaos Child is going to go down that path, but right now I'm at a part where uh, my student council president pulled me into the student council room and Augusta Wind blew up her skirt so I could look at her panties. Oh so, dear. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, so I hope it gets to the point I wanted to get to eventually. It's it's just it's got a slow start, and um, I, I think I was saying it earlier. I don't really get how there are like three things that these games do, and all these science adventure series games. One, they have all of that extra fluff for some reason mm-hmm. that seems like it's totally unnecessary in terms of like developing the characters. Two, they always have to have like a totally unlikable protagonist. What is with this series? Like. Okabe in Steinsgate, the main character, thinks he's a mad scientist, and he does this thing where he, like, laughs maniacally and just says weird stuff to people all the time, and everybody's yeah. like, what is wrong with you, constantly? And he's like, 
it just, he eventually grows and becomes a more interesting character. But I'm thinking of, there's a difference between Luke from Tales of the Abyss, who goes from a spoiled, unlikable brat to somebody who realizes what he's done and grows from it, to just like a character that seems to be intentionally written to be as annoying and unrelatable as possible, yeah. <laughs> like Okabe. So the main character in Chaos Child is off to that similar start where his whole thing is, um, he's like, he thinks that he's a quote-unquote right-sider, and he divides people into wrong-siders or right-siders. And what he means by that is, like, people who are on the wrong side or the right side of the information divide. Because his thing, his his whole, like, ideology is that with the advent of the internet, information is so easily accessible that if you are one of the people who doesn't utilize it to its fullest extent, then you're a wrong-sider. Like, the example he gives is Schrodinger's cat. If you ask people, what is do, what do you know about Schrodinger's cat? Most people will say, like, oh, yeah, it's the one about the cat in the box or the thing about whether the cat is alive or dead until you look at it. And then he's like, they're all wrong. The right, you know, if you're a right sider, you would know that it's like a thought experiment and da, 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 and goes into like the very in-depth mechanics. So he's just kind of like a pedantic asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I just like, why, why are these characters always like this? Hopefully he grows and becomes interesting. And then number three is just always like the unnecessary fan service that I don't, I don't get like, do I need to have an upskirt moment less than an hour into a game before I get a chance to know a character? Uh, it's it's there. It is what it is, I guess. But um, if that sounds like it's up your alley, go for it. But I'm not selling this game well at all, by the way. No, it's it's kind of... I, I had heard so many amazing things about Steins Gate. I went out and bought it immediately when it came out for the Vita. And I, I want to say I put like maybe four or five hours into it and I just couldn't stand it. It was incredibly boring. I didn't like the main character. It, it wasn't sucking me into the world. Um... I really couldn't stand the fact that the text editing was all screwed up. So like certain lines of dialogue would go from like the first line down to the second line. And I, I actually was wondering, it was like my Vita glitching and I texted you, Derek. I was like, so what's going on here? And you're like, yeah, that that's a thing. Um, you gotta, you gotta deal with that a little bit. And so many people had spoken so highly about the game that I was really looking forward to it. And then just the more I started digging into it, people started saying, well, maybe watch the anime. Cause that kind of gets well, to the point a little bit faster. It does. And, and Steins Gate, I think really does become brilliant and, and heart wrenching. And the story is amazing once you get past a certain point, but it's just like, I fully believe that you can build an engaging story from start to finish. I shouldn't have to wade through the first third of the game being total crap before I get to the good story. Like, I don't see how that's, it's almost a, like a masochistic thing. Like, okay, if you can just endure, then you get the good story. Like, why? Yeah, that that's an immediate turnoff for me at this point in gaming. It's like, no, unless you're going to, you know, I don't need a game to be all whiz-bang in my face from the very start, but at least give me something interesting at the start. Don't yeah. don't make me wait so, for the good stuff to come. Right. So I realize I've been pretty negative on Chaos Child, and it wasn't really my intention to to totally disparage it and tear it apart. Like I, it's early, so I'm making these are my initial impressions, which are going to be stronger. And once I've had a chance to play through the full game, and I can let the experience simmer a little bit, I'm you know I'll come to my conclusion. But right now, I just I'm intrigued by the core mystery of chaos child but like in the first hour or two they just threw all that stuff at me and i was like am i really doing this again <laughs> like i don't want this to be another steins gate where i have to wade through all that to get to the good stuff but um, Did that you being think, said i was gonna say do you think that steins gate was worth it in the end um it was really good but like the the story towards the end got really really good mm-hmm. uh it's tough to say whether it's worth it or not like steins gate zero came out last year and that was a 
I, I, I couldn't believe they made a sequel to it because it really is just a direct sequel. Um, and because Science Gate is, has so much to do with bending time and going through different realities, uh, I was confused as to how it would work. And it, it actually ends up working towards the end. Um, but Steins Gate Zero similarly had so much of that um, unnecessary fluff stuff. Like, I don't know, there's a scene in Steins Gate Zero where um, one of the characters, uh, she's basically like a trained assassin. And somebody sneaks in on her when she's in the shower. So they have like a naked grappling fight outside of the shower. Like you, like, like, like you do. Like you do. Why? And, and I mean, you know, if that if that happened, I'm not opposed to that on principle but it was very clearly put there just to titillate so that we could see you know illustrations of her fighting naked you know what i mean like it's it's whatever like i don't want to be totally on these games cases and we've had so many discussions to this effect like i just get tired of uh talking about it sometimes but yeah um i'm not opposed to the sexual content or whatever uh on principle i just want it to be meaningful like it, it can be sexual just just have a meaning. Just don't do that for no reason. Like I was playing, uh, I'm not going to get into this very much, but I was playing Bad Apple Wars, which is another visual novel uh, that's about to come out. And I reviewed it and my review will be up on release date, which is the 12th, I think, or 13th of October. So you can look forward to that. Um, say, barring my impressions for the game, which you can read about later, uh, there is a mechanic in the game where it's like an Otome where you date all these guys. And there are scenes where you have to use the touchscreen to touch them and feel their emotions. And if you get further along in the game, when you touch them, their clothes melt away. Oh God. And I just like, like why? <laughs> and and these like, are guys. So it's I'm a combination not... of like uh, fire emblem uh, fates meets uh Akiva strip or something like that. Right. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> I mean, you know, and this is coming from, from my perspective, you know, if I was going to be looking at, you know, like naked people in my games, I would probably prefer to look at guys, but uh, it just, it's meaningless. Like, I don't see any point to it. It doesn't make me feel like, oh my God, the characters are glowing, growing so intimate with one another or whatever. And nobody talks about it. It's just like a thing that happens to be gratuitous. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm so sorry. Like, I feel like I went down this path and I'm being a real downer here, but um, I just want sexuality in games to mean something. It doesn't always have to be super meaningful. If, if it's going to be porn, let it be porn. But like, do we have to do this kind of stuff all the time? Does this have to be the prevailing trend? God damn it. Yeah, it's like there was a little bit of fan service back in anime in the 90s, like here and there. And now, you know, whenever I watch anything now or any like heavily anime influenced game, it just feels like it's being really, you know, pushed into my face. And they're kind of speaking to me more than anybody else, you know, heterosexual white guy that, you know, likes big boobs. Like, I like, yeah, you're speaking to me. You're speaking my language. But like, at the same time, it can feel so kind of crazy. Uh, we'll talk about Danganronpa in a little bit, but there was that uh, that one scene between uh, Maki and uh, Kibo, that, uh, not Maki, excuse me, Mew and Kibo, and I was just like, okay, oh, that's, that. that's, that's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's like, r- really? Like, And it made me immediately start going, well, are they going to develop a relationship now? And I, I don't want an answer to that question. I want to find out on my own. But like, if that was just a one-off scene... It served no purpose. Well, you know what I, mean? I would so, almost I, argue that in Danganronpa's case, I think it does serve a little bit more of a purpose just because Danganronpa is so built around creating red herrings because you don't know right, right. so many of the times. It's like you see this scene and it's like, what, what's the point of this scene? Like, it just seems like they're being ridiculous or this conversation is meaningless. And now after playing two Danganronpa games, you're in the third one. It's like, okay, can I trust this? Like, 
did they want me to see that on purpose? These characters, are they plotting something or, you know, there's truth in that. Yeah. 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 So I think in that case, there's, there is actually kind of like a function, a higher level function to those kinds of scenes, even if on, on the smaller scale, they're gratuitous and weird. But, um, so I'm cool with that. That's fine. I don't mind that, but it's stuff in like, you know, chaos child, I meet student council president and suddenly wind blows up her panties. Why? How does that develop the character? How is that going to play into the overall story? It's not, it's just there because it's there. Right. So yeah. Anyway, um, to our listeners, I apologize. I know that, um, in the past I have been pretty heavy handed about talking about this kind of stuff. So I try to, you know, keep an open mind and I don't want to be like the fun police over here. I just think it's worth talking about why this kind of stuff is popping up. And if it's, you know, is it a trend we should be looking at or what? So, yeah. So I apologize if I was being too negative, but. No, I don't think you were. Yeah. You yeah. I reached... apologize, Derek. No. And, and you're offering a valid criticism on something that it, it sounds like you, you might be enjoying it if it wasn't for all that stuff. And if it feels like it comes out of, out of nowhere, like, you know, it, it would be like having a rhinoceros run across uh, the screen in the middle of Hamlet. Like it doesn't like you're kind of sitting there going, wait, what, what did that, what did that provide? to the story and you know sexuality can be used in a proper way like that can you can tell stories people have sex i know i'm as shocked as everybody else hey i mean dragon age inquisition did a pretty good job yeah but if you're just throwing it in just to throw it in and it's not serving any purpose you know that's that's just not interesting to me anyway so yeah so chaos child is uh you know if you're a big fan of oh sorry alexa thought i was talking to her um (laughs) uh what did I say that sounded like Alexa? Anyway, Chaos Child is, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Steinsgate, uh, I'm so early on in this. And like I said, I can't even really get into the story details. But if you like Steinsgate, this is probably going to be a similar experience. So it should be up your alley. So don't let me totally, don't write the game off based on what I'm saying. I'm just having some negative early impressions um, that I may very well, you know, lean into later on and decide that I don't like it. But as for right now, um, it doesn't have a strong start, but it's it's a science adventure. So I have no idea where it's going to go. It could that being end up said, somewhere really good. Yeah, that being said, Rob, you uh, I know that we talked about Danganronpa V3 more on the last episode, but you've finally gotten a little bit deeper in, right? You beat the first yeah, case or two? I, uh, beat the first two cases. Um, we will obviously not go into spoilers. I don't want to ruin that game for anybody. Um, I have very, very, very strong thoughts on the first case, and so I think we, we do want to do some kind of spoiler cast down the road. Um, overall, I'm enjoying it. I had a similar problem to the start of that game that I did with Danganronpa 1 and 2, where the first couple hours as you're being introduced to the characters feel really uh, dragged out and they're kind of boring. And also the characters are super tropey, at least at the start of every game. I mean, they're all the ultimates. They're all, you know, they have one main character trait. And then as you learn more about them, they become a little bit more three-dimensional, whether or not they fully get there. That's, that's a debate we can have, but like those first couple hours of these games are always a little painful for me. And then we start getting into the murder mysteries and the trials. And, you know, I am a total slut for case closed and other Japanese uh, murder mysteries. Like I love that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really digging it. I kind of want to see where they're going. I am very worried about the direction of the story right now, because I think I always think I know where they're going and I get it like 30, 40% right. And then there's like all the other crap. So I'm, I'm hoping that that other crap can be very interesting because <laughs> if the, yeah, you go ahead and laugh at me and, and this will be really good to listen to in a, in a couple of weeks when I finish the game. But <laughs> overall I am really enjoying it. I think there's a lot of really good things in there. Um, but I do think it comes down to, if you didn't like the first two, I'd, I don't see how this one's going to change your mind. Oh yeah. That for sure. 
for sure. Yeah. And I think um, it's been said that you don't, you know, Danganronpa V3 is, is totally, um, it's a new cast of characters. So you don't have to have played the first two to jump in and start enjoying it. However, I do think that by the end of it, you'll find that context from the entire series is going to be useful. So. Yeah, it's really good. I'm enjoying it. It's a great game to take to the office and have some downtime to to play. I still think that they get a little... They, they kind of suffer from the Persona 5 problem of you could have explained all of this in three lines of dialogue and you took 20. <laughs> and like that, that's a little tough, uh, but, you know... It is what it is. It's a visual novel, and I'm I'm enjoying it. It's pretty good so far. the The second case was uh, that was interesting. That was a good case. It had me thinking a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I actually yeah. think the second is the uh, weakest in terms of the 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 murder plot how it was executed. So I'm interested to see what you think with the rest. Well, I'm going to keep going. I am enjoying it. So Danganronpa V3, very very good for fans of the genre. You will like Danganronpa V3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Danganronpa is an easier overall recommendation than something like Steins Gate or Chaos Head. Or Chaos yeah, Head, so. yeah. And, and if you like the Ace Attorney games, I think it's also really good at that. And it's made me want to go back and get the, the trilogy. I played through the first Ace Attorney and Miles Edgeworth, but I'd like to play through the rest of them. But now there's like 40 of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I never want to play those again. I, I like them a lot, but uh, I think you lose a lot knowing exactly how it's going to turn out. Well, it's also the replayability problem. Like I really, you know, it's, it's October and I like spooky games and I was really thinking about playing through uh, Resident Evil seven again, a game that I really, really enjoyed, but you can't skip the cutscenes. And I was like, well, that's kind of a huge In downer. In right? No, no, no. Resident Evil seven. Oh. Uh, and I'm, and I'm relating that to Phoenix, right? So like not being able to skip things and not that can, you know, I, I still think that when it comes to visual novels, like that's where the the Zero uh, Escape games have done a really good job of letting you skip straight to the point. But like, I, I guarantee I had a point here to make. But like trying to play Resident Evil 7 and not being able to skip, skip the cutscenes, I'm like, God damn it. Like, I don't want to replay this now. Like, I want to have as little friction as possible when I want to replay a game and I want to get to the stuff that I, I really want to play. If mm. you know, Yeah, I got you. That's just me. It's, it's sort of like... <laughs> I don't know. The the first game that I ever played where I was like, why can't I skip the cutscenes was Final Fantasy X because uh, I, like everybody else, died to Unaleska several times and was like, why? Oh, why God, do I have yeah. to wait through this entire cutscene again? So uh, they've since remedied that in the HD remake. So yeah, uh, I hate to say it because I, I don't think it's a matter of I mean, maybe it is a matter of impatience but I think the reality is just that sometimes we want to play games more than once and we don't need to watch those scenes again necessarily. And also yeah. speed, speed running is becoming a thing. So, Yeah. And, and like watching a speed run of resident evil seven was painful because there were just moments where like the dude had to just let the cutscene play. Mm, yeah. And I'm like, that's kind of terrible. Like, but again, I get what they're going for. Like it was super effective when I was playing the game the first time, like I was totally into that and it, it made it, you know, feel just amazing, but you know, make the game easy for me to play again. That, that would be appreciated. So, I feel you. I feel see, you. I had a point there. I did. I did. Speaking of uh, zombies and horror, see how I did that there? See, I, mm-hmm. I got there. Yes. I got there. Caitlin, yes. uh, I was like playing games on my computer and I saw your name come up in Dying Light and I thought I was living in some kind of bizarro universe. I was like, really? Okay, so talk to me a little bit about Dying Light. Um, well, it was, uh, it was on sale on Steam, of course, because that's where I'm getting a lot of my games lately from Steam sale. 
Uh, it's been on my radar for a while. I just never got around to uh, picking it up. Um, you know, other games coming out didn't didn't you know had to budget the money, and I was like, well, pff, it's like half off, might as well. Um, so I'm I'm liking it so far. Um, I like just the, the the basic setup of the game that you're just you're dropped into this. Uh, largely open world, and you have to run and parkour and beat your way through zombies. It's it feels more. I know we we hate this term, um, visceral, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. than other sort of zombie games like uh, like Dead Rising, which is feels much more arcade like in in how you're you're plowing through zombies. Um, and the addition of the whole the the time mechanic, you know, you're safest during the during the day, and at nighttime the volatiles come out, and oh, crap, running away from those things is um, a good way to get the old heart rate pumping. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's been cool. Uh, the story is nothing to write home, of course, and I mean, like, it's not like this is a recent game, so this is no uh, news to no one at this point. But um, uh, you know, it's it's pretty boring stuff right now um the best part about it is frankly that uh roger craig smith is voicing the main character so that's like you know and purely for me as a assassin's creed 2 fangirl um being you know assassin's creed 2 is the best assassin's creed so i'm just gonna say it is yeah. that um, NCO's voice actor that's fair yeah yeah oh, okay yeah that's 100 fair i don't think you said anything controversial there <laughs> <laughs> nope so um but it really we've been talking more and more about uh games that sort of blur the lines and mm-hmm. fit into that sort of uh, that borderline category of is it an RPG or isn't it? And we've had um, some discussions about games coming out in the next month. I don't know which games those might be that uh, fall into our coverage because of the RPG elements that they've added. And I couldn't help but think while I was playing Dying Light, you know, this kind of falls into that same category of... I don't really want it to be an RPG because ultimately it does feel like the focus is more just on action than RPG elements, but it has enough RPG elements that it makes me think, well, maybe if we're covering said, you know, game, this other game that has sort of borderline qualities, this is something that we should also be looking at. Um, Because I mean, obviously you have quests, you have main story quests, you have side quests, you get experience from doing quests and you get experience from doing pretty much anything in the game. So you get uh, quest experience, but you also get experience just from running around parkour and you get experience for, you know, smashing zombies faces in and things like that. And that lets you, uh, select perks, um, kind of like Skyrim, uh, where you you level up and it boosts uh, certain things, but then you also get to pick a perk in different trees and whatnot uh, based on where you're leveled up. There are weapons that have stats that you can upgrade to improve their stats. Um, and of course, uh, there's that, I, I hate this mechanic, but the whole um, weapon degradation system. <laughs> um, although, I don't know. I feel like I live with it in, in Breath of the Wild, but I actually feel like it makes more sense in a game like Dying Light because with this is a game. Survival horror. Yeah, yeah. So the survival mechanic makes a lot more sense for you to have to, uh, you know, pick up whatever you can find around you to defend yourself and that nothing lasts forever. So you have to be able to 
you know, be, uh, you know, fluid and go with the flow. And if the situation changes because, oh, crap, there's suddenly a, a gigantic radioactive zombie in the mix or it became nighttime and the volatiles are out, you have to be able to, you know, change gears at a moment's notice. So it makes more sense to me there to have that kind of – and honestly, it feels like it's a little bit more um, uh, forgiving, in dying light with the degradation versus breath of the wild, because you can actually repair your weapons to a certain extent. Yeah. You can repair them. A, yeah. You can repair them a few times. Um, yeah. I, it's weird. I, I have like, I was looking at steam. I have 38 hours in dying light and it's mostly because I think that game plays very, very well. The parkour and it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I never really dug the combat, and I know that somebody's like taking a drink right now with the random encounter uh, drinking game. Oh boy, Rob didn't like Rob combat. Didn't combat. Rob didn't like the combat. Okay, everybody take a drink. But like it, like even though there were numbers on the weapons, it's like since the zombies, you could never really like tell what the level of a zombie was. It was like okay, I'm hitting it with like this big massive weapon. And sometimes it's killing them instantly, and other times it's not. Some of the mo- some of the enemies are really easy to indicate, like, oh, this is kind of a beefier zombie, so I want to take them out a different way. I don't know if you've unlocked the neck snapping mechanic, but that kind of breaks the game, like, because then you can start like uh, covering yourself in zombie guts so that they can't detect you, and then just running around breaking their necks over and over again. And no. so. Uh, like, so, like, I got into this weird rhythm of that game of, like, for three hours just breaking zombies' necks and never having to worry about them attacking me because I could just keep, like, camouflaging myself. And so I ended up, like, completely uh, over-leveling and unlocking every skill. It was just a very weird game. Like, I never dug the combat as much as a lot of people dug uh, Dead Island, and this is the Dead Island people, so I thought that was interesting. But I, I definitely got what they were going for, and I enjoyed so many aspects of that game, but like the actual numbers behind the weapons never really seemed to make sense. It, it's, it's a weird game. It's a really weird game. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not super far into it. I'm only a few main story missions in, so uh, we'll see. You know how that changes things, um, but I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting experience, and um, I would definitely be interested in seeing what they do with a sequel, um, which I. They're working on, but we don't know anything about it. Right? Yeah, they've been real cagey. They keep doing updates for the original game. They did the following DLC, which a lot of people really liked. They're doing uh, events like every week. They've they've actually done a really good job of supporting that game for, I think, three years now, which is really really cool. But it's wow, it's been that long. Yeah, but it, it's yeah. kind of time for a new one, in my opinion. Like, I, I want a new one. I want them to work on the mission structure. Like, oh my god, Caitlin, when you get to like the school mission where you're just walking through rooms with zombies, it's like you're gonna say to yourself, like, this game's built around parkour, and here's an entire mission that is no parkour. Like, what the what the hell are you guys doing? Like, it's just, it's a very, it's a very weirdly designed game, but I know a lot of people said that the expansion does a much, much better job. It's, okay. I, I like the survival aspect. The game's pretty as hell. Like mm-hmm. it is a very, very pretty game for being as old as it is. Um, and, and I agree like the, the whole nighttime stuff like that is super exhilarating. I'd actually go in and play with the difficulty a little bit. Like if you play that game on the hardest difficulty setting, it is a survival horror game. 
Like you can't stand up to like more than one zombie at a time. Those volatiles will drop you in one shot. Like I, I like the fact that they did more to the difficulty. Uh, you can't pause in nightmare oh, mode. Really? Yeah. So like there's uh-huh. no, like, there's no like hitting the crafting button and like giving yourself a second to get your, get your shit together. It, I like the fact that that game's difficulty levels did more than just, Oh, these enemies hit you harder. I always like it when difficulty levels add something new to the game. Like I got down a rabbit hole of trying to play the new Hitman game on the uh, professional difficulty setting. And it's like super hard and there's like no easy way to get to your target. They don't show you anything on the map. They change everything and like where things are located. Like I don't think I'll ever play it for more than a few hours just to tool around with it. But it was really cool to have those kind of different difficulty modes. Hmm. It's cool. Dying Light's weird. It, it's it's like one of the. How did I describe it in the pre-show? It's it's like Metal Gear Solid Five. It is one of the best playing games that has with no, no reason to play it. With no reason to play it, like that. Damning. Yeah, I mean it 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 plays phenomenally well, but like the the story's kind of crappy and the missions aren't a whole lot of fun. So it's like I eventually reached a point of why am I playing this? And I actually finishing the game made me hate it a lot because the last couple missions are dreadful like oh, just why? absolutely dreadful like just just run around and you know play it online with people some people are really big into the game's uh, online mode but it's it is a very bizarre game and i would love to see the next game from them uh but you know all quiet on the western front on that one oh well, maybe they'll surprise us yeah, I keep waiting for E3 announcements. And God, Tokyo Game Show kind of came and went without anything of value announced. Like, it's kind of a quiet show this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that weird front mission uh, Yoji Shinkawa thing from uh, that you know has the Metal Gear art, but is taking place in the front mission <laughs> universe. Yeah, um, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, be curious to see more of that. It, I it miss front like, mission. It, it looked like a shooter, though. And I'm like, yeah. is that what I want out of Front Mission? Yeah, I don't know. Do, do I want a shooter? I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt to a degree. So I don't think I want a shooter. <laughs> I want I want mechs if it's Front Mission. Yeah. I kept keeping my fingers pro- crossed for a From Software announcement, and nothing happened. And I'm like, okay, well, that means they're working on something. So just... Just keep plugging away, but it was very quiet Tokyo Game Show, and then uh, still no word on what the hell uh, Aegis Thirteen Sentinels actually is. And at this point, it's it looks so pretty. Well, they showed coming comical. Well, they showed more. They actually showed footage of uh, exploration, but Mm -hmm. but no no gameplay. (laughs) Yeah, that that's getting Uh, a little annoying. It's it's time to actually know what the hell that game is, or just cancel it. Like I I could honestly see that game being canceled. I don't think it has an actual. Really? Yeah. It, 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 it's not coming across like a real game to me right now. It's coming well, across like a tech demo. When was it announced? When was it first announced? Oh uh, God, like years ago. Uh, Thirteen Sentinels. A quick googling. It's been it's been a couple of years, yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm like you know. I, I mean, announced Tokyo Game Show like 2015. It's a little weird for us to say, like you know make it a game or not or cancel it when we're like, we're fine with city project red taking forever on uh, cyberpunk. Oh, oh we're going to talk about that. We, we might as well just jump into that right now. So uh, no, that excellent segue. Uh, 
the uh, the fantastic Danny O'Dwyer has been doing uh, his uh, no clip documentary series, and he decided to do one on The Witcher Three, uh, which means that I, of course, pre-installed The Witcher Three and started playing the crap out of it. And I- I'm right there with you, Caitlin. Like I'm starting to get a little nervous. I- I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm 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 right there with your line of logic about CD Projekt Red. I'm getting a little nervous that we haven't seen anything for Cyberpunk because they have announced that game so far in advance. That said, having just seen Blade Runner 2049, I am ready for some goddamn Cyberpunk. Like, I am totally ready for that right now. But I I would like to know what that game even is. Is it an immersive (laughs) sim like Deus Ex? Is it another Witcher-style game? Like, what the hell is it I would actually really like to know at this point? See, I'm, 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 what I'm advocating is patience. I'm not, I mean, I want it to, but after the debacles of the last couple of Square Enix titles, I'm fine with them taking as much time as they need and only showing it when it's done. They, more companies need to do the Monolith Soft style, which is to announce the game when it's a year or less out and let the anticipation build to a reasonable yeah. level within a reasonable amount of time instead of showing early footage three or four years or more before the game is reasonably going to be released, a la, you know, versus 13, then 15. God. And now with Final Fantasy VII and, you know, all that, you know, wonderfulness, I'm fine with companies taking their time. I'm f- I have to be fine because... Uh, with with uh with Cold Steel three and and the uh, the continuation of the, uh, the 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 Legend of Heroes saga, I mean, like we're gonna be waiting for games in that series probably until we're like you know in our fifties at this rate. Oh my God. So. Yeah, what Caitlin is referring to is there was an article that recently came out. Um, I don't remember if it was VFMitsu. I saw it in Gamatsu, but the they said Falcom came out and said that the Legend of Heroes series, as of Trails of Cold Steel three, which is the eighth game in the series uh the game the story is 60 percent done they said eight games in and they've been releasing the game since what i think trails uh trails in the sky one came out in the early 2000s in japan so like 2003 or four so here we are in 2017 um 15 years almost and we've gotten 60 percent through the overall story <laughs> so jesus christ i mean as a fan yeah keep bringing on because they continue to get better and better but on the other hand, it's like, holy shit, that's, <laughs> that's so much. That That's a song of ice and fire territory. Like yeah. we're, we're getting a little nuts there. No, I, I understand it. And, and I agree. I just, I wish we didn't even know about cyberpunk right now because they announced it. They announced it so long ago and now I'm, I'm still sitting around waiting for it. I'm super excited to see it, but like, you know, I, I'm in that category of I think you guys maybe announced it too soon because then mm-hmm. very close after that they announced Witcher Three and we obviously got Witcher Three. Yeah, I think I think Caitlin's onto something though. With like a, a year or so is is a sufficient amount of time to generate anticipation and then like refine the product while people are giving some feedback. Maybe like uh, even Xenoblade Chronicles Two, which falls into Caitlin's the the year cycle that Caitlin just brought up. They've made changes since the debut trailer, which we saw at E3 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they put out the, well, this year, I guess. We saw it at E3, and then they put out the <laughs> new new footage, like, a couple weeks ago during that Nintendo Direct, that they've changed some of the graphical assets in the engine. Like, it, uh, I think we talked a little bit about how they put out some comparison images and how the main character, Rex's face, looks different, better, I think. So, yeah, I mean... If they can still make those changes within that sort of protracted time frame, um, then I think 
probably best for all of our, I don't know, game development is such a messy business, but like, yeah, uh, a year I think is sufficient. That way we know what's coming. We know more or less when it's coming. If they have to delay it, they have to delay it. But like, don't tell me about a game five years before it's out. Like, I don't, I don't know. Just work on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just work. And I mean, like, uh, we were all speaking from the from the standpoint of uh, consumers. And I mean, we work in the in the um, the journalism industry, but none of us have experience on the development side of things. That is, you know, that is the coding and the actual creation of the gameplay. Um, so it's of course easy for us to talk about, you know, when is the right time to announce and right. when is. And, and I mean, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that you know it could be a entirely different situation for developers if they have to, if they're feeling pressure to get out, you know, news about a game. I mean, that that is clearly why we saw so many updates about 15 was because mm-hmm. of the demand Fairness. for. The, yeah, you know, the the demand for from the consumers, but also just to say this is what we're working on. We are actually making progress, and I can appreciate that. But yeah, it's like this this tricky balancing act of when's the right time? When do we have enough of a game to show? And when do we think we are on a good enough track so that we can deliver within a reasonable time frame? And I think we've seen good examples of that, and we've seen bad examples of that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just like. I just, I just, I just, you know, I want to see more of the whole, and I hate to say this again, but you know, Monolith Soft, and I will give it to you, UB, because you didn't really announce Assassin's Creed Origins until it was realistically coming out shortly. So, bravo to you there. Um, see how I'm so reluctant to praise them for anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that you know, I feel like that's a good balance of building anticipation without it being like a surprise announcement, but still giving time to refine the product. Like, like we've seen with Xenoblade Chronicles too. Um, so my two thoughts, anyway, my two cents. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Cyber cup punk, uh, get here now, please. Uh, secret of Mana collection on switch, Derek. Oh, you want me to talk about that? Yes. Segue. <laughs> yes. So I, just go for it. I believe I had said back around uh, E3 this year how much I was hoping for. That was my number one uh, uh, wish list item was a Sega Nensetsu collection announcement. Sega Nensetsu being the Secret of Mana series uh, for Switch because I, I was just hoping. It was like you have the games there. you know. Well, Switch is region free, which I'm going to get to in a second. That's what has enabled me to play this collection. But I just wish they would do. It's like Mother 3. It's one of those games that's just long needed an official release in uh, English speaking territories. And it's just it's gone without. So I know there there's an English translation of Second Densetsu 3, the sequel to Secret of Mana, that's been floating around on the web, you know, for well over a decade. And weirdly enough, it's one of those games that I still just sort of never got to play or never, you know, never sat down with. So Secret of Mana is one of my all-time favorite games. And as we were discussing earlier, the Secret of Mana remake is coming out. And I'm I'm probably not as negative as Rob seems to be initially. Uh, but I, because Secret of Man is just super important to me, I want them to do a good job with it. But the, uh, yeah, those character models are, the character models are okay. It just, it looks a little cheap. So that's my concern. As long as it plays well, I'm totally down. Anyway, so Secret of Mana, this is the time for it. It seems like almost a, a mini mana renaissance with the upcoming remake of, of Secret of Mana. And then in Japan, they just got the second Densetsu collection, which packages uh, one, two, and three 
the first one being Final Fantasy Adventure for Game Boy, and then Sega Nensetsu 2, Secret of Mana, and Sega Nensetsu 3, all on one cartridge, one in one package. So I was fortunate enough, one of my buddies got me the, the Sega Nensetsu collection on Switch for my birthday, and it's region-free, which means that you can pop it right into your Switch and be ready to go. Alternatively, you can actually just create a Japanese account on your Switch and buy it and download it like that and have it in a matter of minutes. Um, my only sort of warning with that would be that it's it's pretty pricey for what amounts to three emulated games. It's like, how much is it? It's like 50 bucks, more or less. Um, so it's up to you whether or not you think it's worth it. Um, anyway, so my, my uh, Japanese being, you know, like intermediate level, um, I think I, I have a tendency to uh, underestimate my ability, which sounds like very, very egotistical, and I don't mean it to. I just sometimes I'm afraid that, like, it's like, oh, man, I, I wish I could play that game that's in Japanese, and then it takes me a while to be like, dumbass, you probably could try, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, I, which is what I was thinking with Trails of Cold Steel 3, which is just, I don't know when we're going to get it, if we get it. Uh, I assume we will. But it's just like, oh, man, I wish I could play it, and then I keep thinking, you you could try, you know? Anyway, yeah, I need to. So, Sega Densetsu Collection, um, I got that, and I've been playing Sega Densetsu 3 a little bit, and I was pleased to find that I could actually understand probably, like, 80% of what's being said, so I haven't had to use a walkthrough or anything yet. Maybe I will. Um, but it's been really neat to sort of go back and experience that as a little time capsule with how much I love Secret of Mana. It's like, why did I never look into playing the sequel? So this is a it's a good opportunity, I guess. I'm seeing it as, like, a chance for me to practice Japanese and then also to to play a game I never got to play. So um, the second Nensetsu collection on Switch has, um, it doesn't have a lot in terms of additional features. So it's it's a fairly feature bereft um, ROM collection because sometimes with things like Mega Man Legacy Collection or, um, well, maybe not Namco Museum, but anytime we get a compilation of sorts of classic games, there's usually like an art gallery or, um, you know, even with the Super Nintendo Classic, which I wanted to ask you about since you got one, Rob, because that has like a built-in rewind function, right? I actually, okay, people are going to be mad at me. I have not even plugged in the SNES Classic. We got it the day it came out, but we haven't had a chance to uh, to put it in yet. Um, and I know that apparently you have to, like, set a save state function or something like that. So it's, mm-hmm. I, I got to play around with that, but it's not, like, a a major thing. It's, it's not right. like as seamless as you would have in an emulator, for example. Okay. All right. Well, that being said, uh, Sega Nintendo Collection doesn't have anything quite that robust. It does have save states for each game, so you can do like a you know an emulator level save anywhere you want in each of the three games. Uh, each one has like three save slots, and then it has the original Japanese instruction manuals scanned in, kind of like the SNES Classic does. So it was kind of cool to f- to flip through those digitally and look at a lot of the. I love the art, man. I miss instruction manuals because yeah. As a kid, it was like it was a way for me to get a preview of the game. Like if I would go with my mom or something, and we would pick up a game. Usually, it would be okay. We picked that up. Now we have a bunch of other errands to run. So I would just pour over the instruction manual for hours and hours, like trying to soak in as much info as I could about the game, the story, the world, the characters. And I just miss uh, the, the sort of era of instruction manual art because you would find a lot of really neat illustrations in the instruction manual that were nowhere to be found in the game itself. So Seiken Densetsu uh, 3 is, is just like that. Uh, and Mana too, actually. Secret of Mana actually had a bunch of clay dioramas and stuff that they made for promotional, like for uh, art to advertise the game. And you can see some of that in the instruction manuals. And those are, really, there's, I don't know, it's so cool. It's like very, it's something that you don't see a lot today is what I'm getting at. 
but Secret of Mana 3, or Sagan and Setsu 3 has the same same stuff with lots of neat art and uh, illustrations of items and stuff, so it's fun to flip through that. Um, as far as the game itself, you know, it's it's the sequel to Secret of Mana, so it plays pretty similarly, and I'm, I'm having a decent time with it. I, I chose, just to sort of be weird, I chose uh, Charlotte, the... I think she was sort of romanized as Carly in the fan translation. She's the little cleric girl. And uh, she speaks with, in like a weird, she, she has a very childish way of speaking, even though she's actually 14 or something. She, instead of like end of sentence desu for Japanese, like the copula, she says like dechi or dechu. Like she, she has kind of a babyish way of speaking, which has made it a little bit harder to, understand what was going on in some parts but anyway so i chose her um i'm enjoying the game so far you get to choose three characters of six to make your party at the very beginning and then you uh they sort of intersect throughout the game and um yeah it's fun so i i would absolutely pick up a localized copy of this with without any question no no second thoughts um i i hope that they do decide to bring this out here because it would be, I mean, I wish they would just do what uh, XC did because XC bought the translation for, God, what was it? Was it Oath and Fogana? Caitlin, do you remember? No, I don't. Okay. I know that they they worked with a fan translation for, I want, it was either Origin or Oath and Fogana, but one of the older East games, they just straight up like purchased the existing translation and then, you know, worked on it and did their own thing. So if they can do it and they're, you know, publisher, like a, not a huge publisher, but they're a smaller publisher. If they can do that, why can't Nintendo just buy or Square buy the existing translation and then like tweak it and update it? I just I wish they would. So um, it's worth seeking out if you're a fan of Secret of Mana. Uh, you can probably because Secret of Mana is not like a really difficult game to get through. Um, maybe there are some parts where you need to level up a little bit, but if you've played the English version, I'm pretty confident you could just get through the Japanese version in terms of you know, visual memory of like, oh, I remember I need to go here at this point. So yeah, it's probably worth looking into. Um, it um, it was Oath and Philgana. I just checked. Okay. Um, they also purchased uh, three more fan translated scripts for Ease 1, 2, and Origin as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. see? So so if they can do it, why can't Nintendo or Square do it with uh, SD3? I wish they would. So um, yeah, in summary, it's a cool collection. It's a little pricey and I'm very grateful that I received it as a gift so I didn't have to pay for it but it's like it's like 50 bucks or so for for three games um yeah I I love mana so it's nice to be fooling around with that you think we will uh get it in America I think if secret of mana the remake does well yes but I think it totally hinges upon whether or not that's that's a success for them. It seems like that's their their gamble with the Mana series. Like, here we are, guys. It's your favorite one. We're bringing it back, and it's time to see how well it does. And if it does well, then maybe it'll make it into a series. Because Nier was... I, I felt like Nier was dead after the first one flopped more or less commercially. And then they made Nier Automata, which has been so incredibly successful that Square has come out and said, oh, yeah, it's a franchise now. <laughs> We're working on that. So, which... <laughs> The history of Square getting surprised by people liking their games. I know. I don't get it. Oh, well, it's Square. Uh, you know, know. They, they, they have to screw something up at sometimes. I do, I do have to question Square's business decisions a lot of the time, but uh, as long as Final Fantasy XIV keeps being as amazing as it is, that's... Just don't F with fourteen, please. Yeah, no, please. Please continue supporting that. Which, by the way, uh, I've, I've said my piece about Sagan and Sesquipotion. Um the FF14 next patch comes out Tuesday, which probably will be about the time that this episode is up. 
Mm-hmm. 4.1 with the Ivalice raid and stuff. So, oh, yeah. It, it, Rob, it just straight up has, like, it has Ramza and Delita, and then it has, um, the, the raid itself is Rabinaster from FF12. It's just called the Royal City of Rabinaster. And then you go, you fight the Espers, uh, Mateus and Hashmal, and, 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 uh, I don't know what the end boss is so supposed good. to be. It looks so good! You're, you're saying it's, be this- so good. it's only, you know, you know, this is the first of three raids because every alliance raid is comprised of three. So I can't wait to see what the rest are going to be. I, 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 under, I understand what you're saying. I just, you know, it, it's not liking MMOs. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. No, I'm not telling you to play it. I'm just saying it's exciting. It is At least free watch to play footage up of it or to something, a certain right? point, though. So just go after it comes out, just go look at some footage. I'm sure the boss fights will be super flashy and cool. Like, it's free to play up to, what, level 30 right now? And I've heard that they're toying with the idea of maybe making it free to play up to level 50 at some point. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, just saying. <laughs> please anyway, understand. Uh, please understand. Please please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. Um, well, since we brought up Xseed uh, back there, maybe I can segue into a game that I finished playing not that long ago and yeah, what have you been playing go for it yes um so i got the opportunity to review trails of cold steel the pc port that xseed yes. has been so awesome to give us and um uh, i don't want to like you know it's 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 a port of a of a game that's been out for a while so it's i mean it's not like there's a whole lot to talk about but basically it's the best version of cold steel that you can get um at the moment so uh, we know that Falcom is said that they are going to port uh, both Cold Steel and Cold Steel 2 to PS4 at some point, but uh, we don't know what that's going to be. But for right now, absolutely the best version of the game you can get. Um, they have fixed a lot of the technical issues that the original game had. Um, the frame rate mess that is a bunch of different areas in the game, especially the larger areas with lots of... Uh, effects going on like Heimdall and the um, the school festival at the end of the game. That's all running nice and smooth. That uh, you can lock it at thirty or at sixty frames per second. You can even do unlimited frames if you want to see you know how how fast your your rig can can run it. Um, they've uh, added a lot of voice acting, which is uh, amazing. Over five thousand yes. lines of additional voice acting, and the the biggest um, you know thing for me is um, is Reen getting a lot of more uh, yes. lines. This it was an annoying thing in the original versions where he would be the only one who was not voiced in a cutscene for yeah. whatever reason. And uh, Exit even offered uh, they asked Falcom when they were localizing the PS3 and Vita versions if they could add more voice dialogue to fix that, and Falcom was like, "No, you can't." So we had to live with it before, but with this PC port, we now get, um, there's pretty much, from what I can recall, there's no instance of everyone else being voiced and Reen being strangely silent for some reason. So that's a huge boost. There's also just a um, bunch of different scenes where you have like everyone in the party or all of class seven potentially is voiced that were completely silent in the original version. So it's yeah. nice to have that. I think it adds um, a lot. It really it does. Sort of, it makes the, I don't know. I want to say it adds to the atmosphere, but it, it just makes it more, um, I don't know, more dynamic, more lively. It's nice to hear all their voices and reactions to stuff. And I didn't realize how much I was missing it until I started playing through the PC version, which by the way, thank you, Caitlin. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. I, I will always gift, uh, Legend of Heroes stuff for my my trail super friends. Hell yeah. 
So, um, but yeah, it's, it's um, a beautiful looking version. I mean, obviously um, the game itself is not like the, the most super awesome uh, graphical low pairing game. So uh, you can, you can run Mac settings pretty handily, even with a, a, a I think a mid range PC would be just be fine. I was running it on my, um, crappy little uh, ultra portable uh, running an M processor and an integrated graphics card on my laptop for a fair amount of time I was reviewing it. Um, and I, I couldn't push it as much, of course, um, and had to live with some slowdown, but it was still perfectly playable. Um, I was even being uh, really kind of annoying because I was running it on high on my laptop. I probably could have gotten a lot better performance if I had gone down to a lower setting, but it does scale really well. I mean, I think between my gaming desktop, which has good specs, versus my laptop, which is designed really just for portability and and uh, you know browsing and crap like that, being able to run it between the two uh, comfortably for me anyway. I mean, my standards probably aren't as high as some people's, but I mean, being able to do that is really great. It's a nice scalable uh, port that they've built, and with lots of different you know, little options for you to tweak mm-hmm. depending on um, you know. What you're, what what you want to see, uh, it's it's yeah. They really they give it the the top class treatment. They didn't they didn't just say okay, well now it runs, have fun. They they really went all out. I think made this port even better than the PS3 version. Yeah, and they've been responsive after its release. There have been patches, so they've fixed little uh, issues that have that have happened. So it's always good to see them, you know, uh, keeping up with it afterwards. So. I'm very, I'm very pleased. I'm looking forward to uh, the port of Cold Steel 2, which uh, we don't have a release date yet, but it should be coming out relatively soon. They're, um, they're in the process of uh, locking down the extra voice acting for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that sometime um, early next year, maybe, um, probably, uh, probably, probably before, before next summer is what I would expect. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean. I think we're all crossing our fingers and hoping that maybe once they're done with Cold Steel 2, we'll get a, a Cold Steel 3 localization announcement. Please. Yeah, here's hoping. I know um, Exceed has said that they're, well, Brittany Avery over at Exceed has said that she's working on, you know, a project she can't discuss right now. And I, I doubt it's Cold Steel 3, but uh, wouldn't it be nice if it was at least zero? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so, I want crossed. both of those. And by I the mean, way, like, I don't have any insider information just because I know that's come up before. Uh, I did, uh, my, my full disclo- disclosure has come out. I did work um, for Exceed as a contractor on Fate Extella one time, but I, I don't know, like, I don't know what they're doing anymore. I just worked on that one project. So. Yeah. I feel like, though, the fact that Falcom gave them the permission to do the PC port, and that's, I mean, this is m- largely Exceed doing this. It's not that Falcom made a PC port and Exceed just brought it to us. This is... Yeah mostly Exceed uh, doing the work here um, is a good sign that maybe Falcom is more open to uh, bringing the games out, out here in whatever format works the best for, you know, distribution, you know, outside of Japan. So Zero and Owl still have a lot of, um, unfortunately, a lot of legal red tape kind of buying them up, but I feel like having the ports of Cold Steel and Cold Steel 2, I don't know, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I want to think mm. that that makes Zero and Owl a more uh, likely oh, yeah. possibility. 
Absolutely. I think it's laying the groundwork. It's showing that they, they have the resources on their end to develop these ports and that people, obviously there's a huge demand. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, trails went from being sort of a small thing to one of their biggest series. So people are huge fans of it now. And I, I absolutely think that there's a, a market and a demand for it. So hopefully they can sort of keep working with, they were working with Durante is his name. He's yeah. a, a well-known programmer um, in the, he's the guy community. who fixed dark souls. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully he's, he's amazing. This yeah. guy is amazing. He's a saint. Yes. Maybe, maybe they can get him to uh, do a PC port of uh, trails to zero or something. That'd be cool. Yes, please. I need, I need my Lloyd. I need my Randy. Yeah. Lloyd's cool. I almost, uh, when, when all the whole East thing went down that, uh, East was not, it, what is it? East eight wasn't going to come to PC. I was actually thinking about picking it up and then they're, they're trying oh, it to is. fix it. Yeah. Exactly. They're fixing that version. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, it's just kind of busted right now, I guess. There was kind of a huge, uh, outpouring of love for that game. It got some pretty high scores here and there. People saying it was, you know, scratching that exploration itch, which we've talked about quite a bit. That's kind of one of the biggest things I look for in a game is exploration. So yeah, it's good. I don't know. You know, with all that free time I have, maybe I'll play it, but yeah, you're not busy at all. So no, no, I'm I'm (laughs) never busy these days. That's why it's, Oh God. And there's games coming out. Mario Odyssey, Wolfenstein, Evil Within 2. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah, no, Mario Odyssey sort of feels like it's sneaking up out of nowhere. It is. Because I, I know yeah. that they, I mean, they announced it. Was it at the beginning? Did they announce it before the Switch came out? I don't know. But it seems like the Switch just came out, kind of. And it's already just about out. And I've seen very little about it, it feels like. Because they've started putting out some videos super recently, like in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I've tried to avoid it just because I don't I don't want to know. I mean, it's not like I'm worried about spoilers in a Mario game. I just sort of want to be wowed by each new place I get to. So you're worried about spoilers. Let's let's be honest. Uh, I mean generally, yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty uptight about spoilers in general. I but, am too uh, not uh, not in Mario. <laughs> no, and I, I'm really looking forward to that game because, you know, I think Nintendo, they've even said, they took a lot of inspiration from Breath of the Wild. And so I'm looking forward to playing a platformer that is not necessarily about making like these stupendous runs. Apparently those sorts of things are still in the game, very Mario Galaxy-esque. But something a little bit more like relaxed when it comes yeah. to exploration, like looking around the environment and solving those puzzles. Mm-hmm. That was the best part of Zelda for me. But again, I just wish that there were maybe some more mechanics under the hood to make that make there be a bigger sense of progression with that stuff. And so maybe Mario Odyssey might be able to scratch that itch for me. Yeah. So I am I am very excited for that. It's really good. We're about only about like two, three weeks out. So Yeah. I'm, yes. Less than three. I'm super excited for that game. I really hope it turns out to be something uh pretty spectacular. Me too. Me too. Well, are you finished talking about stuff, Rob? I think the only other thing did you play uh Cuphead, by the way? I know it's No, not no, I did not. Uh, I did not play Cuphead. No, I'm scared it's to death. It's not really my my kind of thing. Yeah, see, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't like classic American cartoons, like, which, I don't know, whatever, maybe that sounds smug, but I don't, I don't like white tunes. people stuff. I get it. I get it. You, you <laughs> um, I just think stuff. that the country of Japan is superior. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my sweet I, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I never liked, growing up, I never liked Tom and Jerry or Bugs Bunny or any of those. Um, I just kind of found them, like, the annoying ones that I was waiting to be over so I could get back to Dexter's Lab or Powerpuff Girls or whatever, so... Um, I like yeah. Powerpuff Girls. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's Powerpuff is great. Uh, no, but I just I wasn't a super big fan of those kinds of games, or sorry, cartoons. So I thought 
Cuphead wasn't really going to appeal to me, but oh my god, that game is like it's weird because it sort of it tickles a, a place of nostalgia that I didn't know I had, and it uh, it just feels so it, it's really dark. Uh, and Graham, because the do you know the the main conceit of the game, Rob? It's that you're, yeah, it's, it's like you're you're working for the devil, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot of classic cartoons did have that sort of weirdly dark edge to them. Yeah, that that is a little weird. I I think the turnoff for me with that game is that uh, at least when they first pitched it, it was very boss rush heavy, and it is. Yeah. yeah, and apparently there are still like normal. Uh, mm-hmm normal-ish things to do in that game, but I just don't... I don't know. It, it's, it wasn't scratching my itch. I like shooters, but I think I'm more of a, a Gunstar Hero type, like, where the... Ooh. It's maybe a little bit more forgiving. Like, I remember trying my damnedest to really get into Contra Shattered Soldier on the PlayStation 2, and that game was brutal. Like, yeah. like, that, like that game was just, like... That was F you, the video game. Yeah, like, well, Cuphead <laughs> is definitely very hard, but it's also got... Um, I actually think they do a good job with bosses they have you know it's because i love bosses in Mega Man games and this just feels like an entire game full of that and uh yeah i, I love the whole pattern recognition and like mastering it and i think that it is very difficult but it's not totally totally unforgiving um and they do a good thing i don't know if you saw they have this thing where every time you die to a boss it gives you a little it has a screen with um it shows how far through the boss you made it and has little goal posts that show the signal the end of each phase so it's like, okay, I, I got almost got through the end of phase two, and I just need to master that part. And then it, it feels like very organic. It's It's got a good sense of progression to it, and you just have to, you have to get better at it, basically. It's just, it's all skill, but um, I don't think it's as impossible as people are pitching it to be, because I keep hearing all this stuff talk of like, it's the Dark Souls of 2D action. And it's like, shut the oh, hell up. God. I think yeah. I think that meme in general has kind of run its course. Oh, yeah, it know? really does. Yes. Although I am, uh, I'm playing the Dark Souls of uh, zombie games now because Caitlin, you made me reinstall Dying Light, and I hate you. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. But we can play together now. We can do co-op. I'm really, uh, God, this game plays so goddamn well. Like, oh my god, and I'm just cracking zombies next, left and right, and I, I will really want a sequel to this game. Like, I really do. And that's like me half debating whether or not I go to E3. Derek, should I go to E3 this year? Yeah, I feel on. like I, I feel like I was miserable last year. Yeah, it wasn't the best show this last year, but um, I think overall it's it's worth it. Uh, I mean, we say this: this is, people listening are going to be like these assholes. They get to I go. Know, they don't I even want to go. Not mean no, it to be like that. <laughs> no, I definitely uh, I get it. It's very much a privilege that I appreciate. Um, yeah, plus we get to hang out, Rob. Come on. Yeah, I I think. Well, first off, I was going to ask the question: Have you gotten anything about Magfest hotel bookings yet? Cause like they, I, I can't go this year. I can't. Afford oh, okay, it. okay. I'm I'm like still waiting around. Like we managed to get registered, and so I'm still waiting for Magfest stuff. Um, but like I, I really wasn't happy at E3 this year, and I I was definitely a little bit of a whiny bitch. Like I I really I, I got a little whiny because there were just so many people, and I don't like. I, I'm not a crowd person. I don't you know this, I love football, but I don't like going to football games. Like. Uh, I just, I don't want to deal with that kind of crap. And then there really wasn't anything to see. And so that kind of made it also tough. So I'm just having this like internal debate in my head. Like, do I go to E3 this year? Or do I just kind of like, do I just kind of let it ride? And I, I really well, don't. Well, as we've discussed, E3 is becoming more and more of a consumer focused show. So you can get all of the information at E3 from home. You can watch the streams of the conferences. You can watch... You know, news sites are putting out info, and now that it's open to the public, people can go in and do their own hands-on impressions. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that that means, I still think that there should be a separate, like at least a day, a press day, or uh, maybe a separate show. I, I don't know. Um, I think that there's still a place for, th- this is coming from somebody who works as a journalist. I think there's a place for, you know, journalist type events, journalist oriented events, um, just so long as that we don't ride that line of, because I guess people have, have worried about, well, are they just paying people to give good impressions of games, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that's the case. It's just... No, no. And and I think having one public day would be fine. I mean, of course, I'm a little Tobiased, and I, I don't want there to be two public days, because I want to have, like, two days to get all the work done. And and I think the public... Like, there is something really special about E3, and I know a lot of people are super excited. I was, you know, I was a goddamn idiot the first time I got to go. Like, I was losing my mind. Like, I totally, yeah. under, I totally understand it, and I want people to have that experience. But, like, I also... I have work to do. Yeah, and I, have, and I have games to see and people Whoa. to talk to and like interviews to have. And yeah. it also, it, it made it hard to just find video games unless you had an appointment. And that, and that fair, really brought me out. This, I think this was a weaker show this year than it had been in several, uh, at right. least in terms of stuff within our coverage. So there we left there. I mean, you know, still excited about stuff, but it wasn't like the, oh my God, my mind is blown kind of show. Uh that it could have been. Which, by the way, I think I mentioned before, uh, we don't get paid at RPG Fan. <laughs> no, there's, we do not. There's, uh, we've made no secret K- of that. None of us Caitlin's get paid. like, wait, you don't get paid? <laughs> Damn you, Caitlin! Yeah, no, so uh, lest you think that we're complaining about getting to go get paid to go to the show or whatever, we absolutely don't. We gotta front that cost. So, uh, we're, we're doing this just because we love RPGs and we want to talk about them. And, and sort of I, get, I get paid in puns when I stream. That's what I get paid in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. So anyway, uh, that was a tangent. Uh, Cuphead is what I was talking about originally. Uh, I'm sorry. I just it, it got me thinking about whether or not I want to go this year, and I, yeah, I yeah. really I, I love seeing you, and I love having a good time. But it's also like I, I you know the wife gets angry with me when I'm gone for that long of a period of time, and oh. you know there, there's all the there's all the teddy bear paperwork I have to fill out before we go. Like you know, oh it's just, anyway. I don't know. I'll, I'll give it some thought. I will probably make a decision in like March, you know, because yeah. I'm an idiot. There's still time. This is this is only October. Yeah. Oh yeah. God! One of the volatiles saw me. <laughs> Run. Oh, well, since Drop. since you're playing Dying Light and uh, no longer invested in this, I'm still <laughs> invested. I can talk and die at the same time. Well, I've run through everything that I've been playing recently. Really. Yeah, I'm and I mean, to like, think about what else we had? We talked about Don Gun Run. Oh, you know, I I guess I could touch on Tangle Deep just really quick. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, because we were talking a little bit about difficulty, and I was mentioning the fact that uh, I didn't really enjoy uh, Divinity Original Sin two until I switched over to Explorer mode, mm-hmm. and then you said Tangle Deep. So you talk about Tangle Deep, and then I'll talk about Explorer mode. Yeah, I, I haven't put a ton of time into Tangle Deep yet. So it is uh, currently in early access, and it's aiming to be released out of that by the end of this year. And Tangle Deep is a, it's it's a procedurally generated dungeon crawler, which sort of would immediately turn me off normally. But I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. It's it plays like uh, you know Crypt of the Necrodancer or Chocobo's Dungeon or Torneco or one of those where you go into a dungeon that's that's randomized, semi-randomized at least, and uh, every time you move a step or take an action, your enemies move a step or take an action. And those aren't traditionally my favorite types of games, but uh, I was drawn to this one because it's by, uh, well, I mean, I think he's working as a developer too, but Andrew Reversa, who was a composer who's really active in the indie game scene. Like if you've listened to 
any of the big albums that have been released through OC Remix, like the big Final Fantasy Six Balance and Ruin thing, or I don't know. He's he's done a lot, and his wife Jillian Aversa is a vocalist, and they they do a lot of game music that's really good, or indie sort of covers of game music, and I think they've contributed to some bigger releases, but I'm not too sure on that. Anyway, Andrew Aversa is sort of at the core of Tangle Deep, as far as I'm aware, and he not only scored the soundtrack, um, he sort of modeled the aesthetics of the game after Ding 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 Secret of Mana which we were talking about earlier. And it, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's like, it's very green, very verdant, a lot of um, trees and stuff. And the, the music he got Hiroki Kikuta, the composer for secret of mana to come in and do some guest tracks, which is really cool. So, so far the music was the music and the pedigree is really what drew me to the game. And it, the music is absolutely fantastic from what I've heard, but it's got, it's got sort of like a rogue legacy esque thing going on where, um, you create a character, and right now they have a they have quite a few classes, maybe ten or so, or maybe even more than that. And they some of them are really out there because you have like a paladin and a berserker or whatever. But there's also like uh, there's a gambler who uses a, a deck of cards, or like a soul fencer who uses little spirits and stuff. Um, they just put out one that's like a God. I forget what it is. I think it's supposed to be based on a Viking. I keep thinking of Hellblade when I see the character because it's got like the blue war streak, war paint streaks across her face. But she goes in and uses battle songs like as she charges into fight. Uh, the singing has to do with like fortifying her and buffing her. Uh, anyway, so it's like it's got all these characters classes. Jesus, I feel like I lost my train of thought. But oh yeah, it's got sort of a rogue legacy esque thing happening where you have a, a hub town where you can. Apparently, you can put resources into it, but I haven't really found too much of that. The only thing I found is you can put money into and items into a bank that is uh, still there after your character dies. When you start Tangle Deep, it actually says they have a couple difficulty levels, but the default and the recommended slash intended way to experience the game is to have permadeath. So you're supposed to go into the dungeon knowing that this character isn't going to survive forever and use their abilities to like uh, bank better equipment and money so that your next character can do better. Now in rogue legacy, I felt I was okay with that because of the fast paced nature of the game and the fact that you could, yeah, you could actually pour money or resources into uh, advantages that would affect future characters. Like, Oh, you could start the game with a higher chance to have this item or like, you know, I, I don't remember all the stuff in rogue legacy that they afforded you, but so far it seems like there isn't quite enough in town to really make up for the fact that permadeath exists. So I'm still, I'm figuring out whether or not I want to play with permadeath on or off. Um, but yeah, the, I, I'm sort of all over the place with this. I've only put a couple of hours into it so far, but the, because the character building system is pretty in depth, you have uh, abilities that you can pour skill points into. And like you have a, a setup with a full, full armor set and weapon. And like four, you can have four weapons and a ranged one. And you have all these abilities with stamina and MP more or less. So, yeah, I'm trying to figure out sort of, it seems like it's so in-depth in terms of your character uh, development that maybe you would want to not lose all that when you die, but maybe that's half of the fun. I don't know. So Tangle Deep, like I said, it's still in early access, and the reason why I'm looking into it is because it was just announced for a Switch release in the second quarter of next year. So if you have a Switch, Rob, that's you, and you yep. would prefer to play something like this on your Switch, Rob, that's you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you might want to look into Tangle Deep. So far, I mean, on early access, it's like 15 bucks, And they said that it's uh, not going to go up in price for the full version, but it might be worth at least checking out. If you like procedurally generated dungeon crawlers, the aesthetics of this one might be enough to draw you. That's why I was sucked in initially. So it remains to be seen whether or not I really stick with it. But um, so far, 
it's it's got a pretty good impression, at least on the audio-visual end of things. So, Tangle Deep. Yeah, and I'm always looking for stuff to play on my Switch. I thought about picking up uh, Golf Story and Stardew Valley, just oh, because I... Yes. Yeah, I, I love I love that damn device. Um, but it's it's interesting. You were talking about like the proper way to play a game with uh, Tangle Deep. Like I was running into that problem with Divinity Original Sin Two, which you know I know everybody has been absolutely loving on this game, and like the open endedness of like this traditional uh, Western RPG aesthetic. It, it's too hard. Like I I just don't know how else to put it. Um, the normal difficulty has the exact same problem that Divinity 1 had, which was, okay, we make this very open-ended Western-style RPG where you can go around and do everything at your own pace, but if you are one level off where you're supposed to be for this one encounter, you will just die. And I get that people find that to be very appealing. There are ways around that by really fiddling with mechanics and you know, kind of almost breaking the game a little bit to get what you want. And again... I can see why people really like that, but as somebody who prefers like an open-ended game that gives me options and lets me play it the way I want to, I feel like Divinity is constantly just kicking me in the balls whenever I don't play it the way it wants me to. So if I do continue with that game, it is going to be strictly on the Explorer mode difficulty, which tones that kind of stuff down and you don't run into nearly as much resistance if you you know, run into an area where, oh, now you are fighting enemies that are two levels above you and you're going to die. Like, And, and to go along with playing a little bit of Witcher 3 again, I just don't want to play a game where the numbers are the difficulty. Like... I I know I've said that before, and people yeah. are probably like, "Well, why do you write for RPG fan?" Like, that to me is not difficulty. That is just well, I have to increase my numbers. Yeah, well, I was thinking of it from the angle of you were saying numbers is difficulty, like games where they have multiple difficulty levels, but the only thing that changes is how inflated the the scores are. You know, like, right? The right. enemy now has four thousand instead of four hundred HP. Like to me, that's not an increase in difficulty. That's just making it more tedious. If I want to play yes. a game with harder difficulty, I want. Haha, and then come back to it. East, like East Othenfell Ghana actually has on higher difficulties, bosses have new attacks and attack patterns. Like that's what I want. That's cool. I like yeah. that. And and Witcher 3 does a little bit of that, in fairness to that game, where like med- meditating doesn't restore your health. Like I think that that's a, a good proper difficulty mode. I think that's good. But like again, it's just okay, these enemies hit three times harder. And I'm you know, I, I get it. Some people are really into that, but I'm not. And so with Divinity, like, I'm sure somebody can make the argument, well, you just have to strategize more, Rob. Like, that's how you're really going to enjoy this game. And it's like, no, I'm kind of playing this game because I'm digging the world and I like the open-ended nature of it. You know, I didn't play Fallout uh, New Vegas on survival mode, for example. I didn't want to worry about drinking water in that game. That's just not, (laughs) that's not what I went to that game for. If you are the type of person that went to that, that's fine, but I'm not really into that. And I think it's telling that with Divinity, they call it Explorer Mode. They don't call it easy. Mm. And maybe that's just my own uh, egotistical nature when it comes to video games. Like, oh, I feel better because you're not making fun of me for playing the game on, quote, easy mode. But I'm I'm more, that's what I'm looking for with the game. I want to interact with it. I want to tell, I want to play this game for the stories. I don't want to constantly be meeting a game over screen over and over again when I play it. That's fair. But to each their own, and I think it's great for, for, you know, I'm the one who would advocate for Dark Souls having an easy mode, you know, or an explorer mode. I would, I'd be totally okay with that. I don't think that game needs to, the 
the barrier to entry on that game should not be the difficulty. I don't think that that's necessarily a good barrier. It, It makes the game tense, and I think you might lose something in that, but if more people could play the game and appreciate it by making it a little bit friendlier. I don't think that's yeah. necessarily a bad thing. I think my my sort of gut reaction is I like the idea of the developer saying, this is what I intended. And if you want to play like that, cool. But here's another option. Like Tangle Deep. It's saying, here's, here's how I designed the game was to be built around permadeath. Now, that being said, <clears throat> if you just want to explore an adventure without so much of a, like, you know, punishment looming over your head, then go ahead. But I don't see if that hurts anybody, you know what I mean? Like, you can still have the core experience intact by playing on the quote-unquote recommended difficulty or settings. Right, right. And and again, I I want people to be able to play the games they want to. You know, there's great mods for XCOM 2 that I turned on that made that game even better when I finished up my War of the Chosen uh, playthrough. I, I think gamers should have those options. But for me as a gamer, I am not interested in, oh, this is just harder because of numbers. Like, that's just... Uh, no no, thank you anymore. That That's not for me. Mm. So, I yeah, I, I might stick with Divinity 2, but it's also, it's also just that super fiddly Western-style RPG that I think I just have to make my peace with. I'm not into that sort of thing. I, yeah, I have not a, really either. I have a very low tolerance level for fiddling with games. It's one of the reasons why, like, if I ever play Fallout 4 again on PC, I'm just going to install the mod that turns off the uh, the weight limit. Hmm. Like, I just don't want to screw around with that. Like, all that's doing is just extending time, and I, I don't want that. Yeah, that's kind of why, um, like, Torment, Tides of Numenera, I really want to get into that, but every time I try to, it's just like, this is so dense. Not just, I mean, it is extremely dense in terms of world building, which I'm into, but the just, like, the character mechanics, I feel like, am I putting my points in the right stuff? Like, yep. this is stressful. Yeah, it's super stressful, and Divinity cranks that up to 11 because of the difficulty. Mm. Like, you know for a fact you could screw yourself. And, you know, I haven't gotten into the multiplayer with that game, which I know people are are hugely into, but I just, I think the barrier on that game is a little too high. I just, I do. Like, and at the same time, I wouldn't tell somebody to start with, like, Shin Megami Tensei 4 in terms of a JRPG, because that game is, like, brutally difficult at the start. I would tell somebody to, to start on something a little bit easier. I think the problem is that the the Western RPGs that have been coming out with all these Kickstarters, they kind of err on the side of uh, very old school and very punishing. And, you know, I, I, I think that makes it hard to recommend uh, to people like myself that didn't grow up with them. Like, I didn't grow up with Baldur's Gate. I grew up with Diablo. Like, that's what I grew up with. So that's that's where my knowledge base is. But uh, what they put together with Divinity 2, it is ambitious as hell. I, I would say give it a shot. But don't be surprised if, if you kind of run into similar problems that I had with uh, Divinity 1, namely the, the difficulty maybe being just a skosh too high. And a skosh is also a very, very fun word to say. Very technical term. A lot of skoshes! Yeah, several skoshes. All the skoshes. Okay, well, I think we've run through uh, everything we've been doing lately. I think Derek wants to go play some 14. I think that's what I I want to go I give this podcast five skoshes out of five? I don't know. Five skoshes! Okay, good. Yeah, no. I need to go eat, man. I'm hungry. Go go eat, but uh, thank you everybody for uh, listening to the podcast. For Derek and Caitlin, we will see you all later. Bye. Bye.
Also leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. I don't even look at those anymore. Me neither. I know. They make me feel like bad.